He called famine down on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him, the ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased, and teach his elders wisdom. So Marco is going to come and speak to us. Um, before um, Marco speaks, we're just going to pray for him and pray for ourselves as well, that we would um, uh, uh, respond to God's word today. So let's just pray for Marco. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Marco. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gifting that you've given to him. And we thank you, Lord, for the message that you've given to him to bring to us today. And we pray for each one of us that you would give us hearts that are open and responsive and receptive to what you want to say into our lives today and that you would speak powerfully into us and through your word and that we would be transformed and changed by you. So we give ourselves to you now in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Hi, everyone. Good to see uh, all your faces again after another week apart. Um, I'm also just going to pray a really short prayer. Uh, I know Keith has already prayed, but I'd like to just pray a short old Anglican prayer for us, which I know you'll all say a, a clear amen to. So let me pray briefly. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as Keith explained, we began last week a, a series of four sermons looking at some important people and events from the Old Testament. Jim started us off looking at Abraham, uh, and in the story of Abraham, we learn that God is the God who makes and who keeps great promises. And today in the story of Joseph, we'll see that, the God, that God is the God who provides. And next week, Christopher will be preaching for us. There's something to look forward to. And we'll see in the story of Moses and the Exodus that God is the God who delivers, who rescues, who saves. And finally, in a couple of weeks, we'll see in the story of Israel at Mount Sinai that God is the God who speaks. And then from there, we'll go into a short series on the Ten Commandments before uh, returning to 1 Corinthians. But for today, Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph is a very familiar one. Probably many of us know it well. Uh, it's even had movies and TV series made about it. Now, if it's such a well-known story, uh, and if I've already told you that the big idea we learn from Joseph is that God is the God who provides, then what do we need a sermon on Joseph for? Well, because in the story of Joseph, we're going to see not just what God did three and a half thousand years ago, but what he is doing now, not just how God provided past tense back then, but how he provides now, not just how Joseph fitted into the big story of what God is doing, but how you fit in. How does your life fit into God's big story? And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Joseph through someone else's eyes. So this is the plan. First, I'm going to tell the highlights of Joseph's story. Then second, we're going to see how the psalm writer interprets Joseph's story. And I'll say three things about that when we get there. Okay, I, I hope that's clear. So it's the story first, and then interpretation through the psalmist's eyes second. So here we go, the story of Joseph. 
Well, Joseph was the second youngest of 12 sons. Uh, one day when he was 17 years old, his father Jacob sent him off to check on his brothers and to take them supplies as they were, uh, they were shepherds and had taken the family flocks to graze some distance away. Well, the brothers didn't like Joseph. In fact, they hated him. Well, at least some of them did. So as they saw him approaching in the distance, they hatched a plan. Let's kill him. We'll say that a lion or a wolf has taken him. Dad will never know we had anything to do with it. But one of the brothers, Reuben, interceded and managed to persuade the others not to kill Joseph in cold blood, but rather to leave him in a pit to die of thirst and heat in the desert sun. Reuben secretly planned to go back later and rescue him. But then another brother, Judah, saw some slave traders passing and sold Joseph to them for 20 pieces of silver. Well, they took him down to Egypt and sold him there as a slave to Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. But the Lord was with Joseph, the Bible tells us, and the Lord caused all he did to prosper. So Joseph became the manager of all Potiphar's business and household affairs. Joseph was a handsome young man, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. She tried to seduce him, in fact, but when he repeatedly refused her advances, she accused him of trying to rape her, essentially, and so Joseph was thrown in prison. But again, the Lord was with him, and he ended up becoming the prison manager. And not only did he run the prison operations, but he also, by the gift of God, interpreted the dreams of some other prisoners, some of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's former servants, his uh, cupbearer and his baker. They'd obviously done something wrong or offended Pharaoh in some way and landed up in prison themselves. And Joseph's interpretations of their dreams, both of them, turned out to be right. Two years later, and that brings it up to 13 years in total that Joseph spent in slavery and prison, Joseph himself, uh, sorry, Pharaoh himself got to hear of this gifted young man, a man who could interpret dreams. You see, Pharaoh had been having some strange dreams of his own, but none of his wise men knew what to make of them. So he sent for Joseph, and Joseph did tell him the meaning of his dreams. There would be seven years of abundance in all the land of Egypt, fields bursting with crops of grain and fruit, cows fat and healthy. But they'd be followed by seven years of severe famine, so severe that the, the, the years of plenty would be forgotten, a famine that would consume the land. So Joseph proposed a plan, a plan to save and store up food supplies through the seven years of plenty so that they'd be able to survive the coming years of famine. Well, Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams was spot on. The first seven years were years of overflowing abundance. The Bible tells us that so much grain was stored up that eventually they stopped even trying to measure how much they had. And the famine, when it hit, was desperately severe. So severe that it spread beyond the borders of Egypt. And in Genesis, we read that all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain because the famine was so severe. And in fact, Joseph's own brothers went down to Egypt from Canaan to buy grain as well. Now, of course, they had no idea what had become of Joseph. Probably they assumed he was dead. Certainly they would never have guessed he'd become prime minister of the most powerful empire on earth. Well, Joseph forgave his brothers 
and he did give them grain. In fact, more than that, with Pharaoh's blessing, he provided a home for them, a portion of land called Goshen, where Jacob and his sons and their wives and children and grandchildren could survive and even thrive. And so we read in Genesis that Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Joseph himself married an Egyptian girl, the daughter of a priest, and he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And as the years passed, and Jacob, Joseph's father, knew his final days had come, he called Joseph to him and made him promise not to bury him in Egypt, but to carry his bones back to the promised land. Bury me with my fathers, he said, with Abraham and Isaac in the land the Lord promised. So with Pharaoh's permission, Joseph did honor his father's dying wish. Together with his brothers, he carried his father's bones to be buried in the cave with Abraham and Isaac in the land the Lord had promised. He then returned to Egypt and he lived out the rest of his days in the service of Pharaoh. He lived to see his great, great grandchildren. And when he knew that his last days had come, he made his brothers and children swear a promise which we read as the final words of the book of Genesis. Surely God will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Well, there you have it. That's the story of Joseph in highlights form. Now I want us to look at it through the eyes of the psalmist. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. So if the psalmist tells us how to interpret the story of Joseph, then we know that is what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn from it. So here's the plan. First, I'm going to show you the overall structure of Psalm 105. When you see the Spirit-inspired structure for yourself, then the main point of Joseph's story will, I hope, be clear to you. And then I'm going to make three points from it that I trust will be for your good and your encouragement. So first, the structure of Psalm 105. So uh, Thomas or Keith, uh, whoever's driving the bus at the moment, if you wouldn't mind just putting up the slide for a few minutes, and, and then I'll tell you when, when we're done with it and ask you to take it down again. That uh, I can't. I'm not sure if that's coming up, but or or you may have it that I emailed it to you in advance if you if you have that. But uh, I I will carry on while we figure out how to get that up. Oh, is that happening? Marco, it's up. Okay, thank you. But, well, the psalm as a whole is a, is a call to praise. In fact, Keith read the first six verses for us as our call to praise at the beginning of our time together. Uh, they are a call to God's people to worship him. And the last words of the psalm at the end of, of uh, verse 45 are also praise the Lord. So the psalm uh, both opens and closes with a call to praise. But to praise the Lord for what? Well, if you look at the structure of the psalm, you'll see it's made up of seven sections. The two outer sections, that's one and seven, top and bottom, they go together and they are the call to praise. Well, then we step in and you'll see that the next two sections, two and six, 
go together and they're about God's covenant. The covenant made in verses 7 to 11 and the covenant fulfilled in verses 37 through to the first bit of verse 45. And then we step in once again and we see that sections 3 and 5 go together and they tell of God's protection. And then we step in again and see that the middle section stands alone. Verses 16 to 22, and they tell of the Lord's providence. Now, this is a, a very common form of Hebrew poetry. And what this form, what this structure tells you is that the big idea is in the middle. The big truth of this psalm is that God provides for his people. And so the call to praise in this psalm is a call to praise God for his providence. But more than that, it's a call to praise God for his providence in the context of his covenant. Do you see that from the structure? The psalmist calls us, the Lord's people, to praise him because he provides all that is ever needed to keep his promises. Or to say it the other way around, the Lord's promises will never fail because the Lord who made the promises will provide all that is needed for their fulfillment. The Lord's promise and the Lord's provision go hand in hand. And who does the psalmist choose as the person in Israel's history whose story most demonstrates God's covenant-keeping providence? Joseph. I'll read verses 16 and 17 for you. When he, that is the Lord, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Okay, so the Holy Spirit inspired interpretation of the story of Joseph is this. It is that the Lord provides all that is needed in keeping his promises. Therefore, you, his people, praise the Lord. Okay, I hope that's clear from the structure. Uh, we're done with the slide for now. So, um, Keith, you can take that down for the moment. Thank you very much. Um, okay, now what I'm going to do is I just want to zoom in on verses 16 and 17 that I read a moment ago and make three points from them. Verses 16 and 17, again, they say, He, that is the Lord, he summoned the famine, and the Lord sent a man before them. The Lord summoned the famine, the Lord sent a man. Right, so these are the three points that, uh, that I want to make. Point number one, trust in the Lord, Christian. You don't know the end of the story. And point number two, praise the Lord, Christian, because you do know the end of the story. Point number three, get to work, Christian. You are part of the story. So number one, trust in the Lord, Christian. You don't know the end of the story. Now, we know the end of Joseph's story. We know that ultimately, through Joseph, the Lord provided food for Egypt, for Israel, for all the surrounding nations. And more than just food, through Joseph, the Lord gave Israel a home, a place to survive, even to thrive through the years of famine. But Joseph didn't know the end of the story. He had some sense of the Lord's calling, but he didn't know how things would work out. The psalmist tells us that the Lord sent Joseph. Do you see that in verse 17? The Lord sent a man, Joseph. The Lord sent him. 
But I bet it didn't feel like the Lord sending to Joseph, at least not for those 13 years in slavery and prison. Look from verse 18. The Lord sent a man, sold as a slave, his feet in shackles, his neck in irons. This would not have felt like the Lord's providence to Joseph. It would have felt like the Lord had abandoned him. Now remember who Joseph was. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, whose very name was Israel. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Joseph was an heir of the promise, and he would have known the covenant promises inside out. We can easily imagine Joseph as a boy being taught by his father uh, that this land where they raised their flocks is the land the Lord had given. The land the Lord had promised to great-grandpa Abraham. It was theirs, theirs by the gift of the Lord himself. And not just land, my boy, his father would have told him. Look, I have 12 sons. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord is keeping his promise. We have land. I have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We have flocks so large that I need to send all of my other sons to watch over them and take them far away to graze because we've run out of space here. The Lord has blessed us, my boy. He is keeping his promise. You can imagine that sort of conversation between father and son, can't you? But then Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. The family has fallen apart, taken to Egypt, out of the promised land. 13 years in slavery and prison, that doesn't feel like blessing. Have all the covenant promises failed? Joseph is out of the covenant people, out of the land of promise, and he's certainly not feeling blessed. And it was all in the Lord's sending. It was all part of the Lord's providence. Dear friends, if you are a Christian, if you are part of the Lord's covenant family, you need to know that not one thing that happens to you is ever outside of his covenant providence. Our God is not a distant and detached deity. He didn't just wind up the clock of the universe and leave it to run, nor has he left you to chance. Our God is a sovereign God who directs all things, all things, to bring about his perfect purposes for his glory and for your good. The covenant providence of our God will never fail. It cannot for then his promises would fail, and he would be untrue, and he would not be God. When life feels like days in the warm blue sunshine, praise God for his covenant providence. And when life feels like shackles on your wrist, an iron collar on your neck, and endless years in slavery and prison, praise God for his covenant providence. Verse 16, the Lord is sovereign over the famine days of your life. Did you see that? The Lord summoned the famine. And verse 18, the Lord is sovereign over the shackles and the iron collars of your circumstances. And in the midst of all of it, in the midst of your troubles and your sufferings, in verse 17, the Lord's providence never fails. Trust in the Lord, Christian. You don't know the end of the story. Second point, 
Praise the Lord, Christian, you do know the end of the story. Now, I'm sure you noticed it, friends, as I told the story of Joseph, I'm sure in your hearts you were hearing the melody that develops into the main soundtrack of the Bible. You heard, for example, how Joseph's brothers, the tribes of Israel, remember, tried to kill him. Israel killed their own father's beloved son. Do you hear the melody building? You heard how he was sold for pieces of silver and your mind went straight to Judas Iscariot betraying Jesus. You heard how Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and your mind went to Jesus, falsely accused by the Pharisees and the high priest. You heard how Joseph was exalted to rulership after long humiliation and your mind went to Jesus' long humiliations and his ascension to the throne of heaven. You heard how Joseph forgave his brothers who had sought his death. And your mind went to Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You heard how Joseph saved his brothers, the Lord's chosen people, undeserving of his kindness though they were. He saved them from death in the famine that the Lord had summoned. And your mind went to the cross of Christ. The psalmist, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote prophetically in verse 16, When the Lord summoned a famine, he sent a man before them. Well, the Lord, in covenant fulfillment, is summoning a great judgment. For the covenant is not only, I will bless those who bless you. It is also, I will curse those who curse you. All who reject the Lord's salvation through the everlasting covenant remain forever under his curse. A terrible covenant-fulfilling judgment is coming. The Lord God has already summoned it. But he sent ahead a man, his beloved son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in the coming judgment, but will have everlasting life. If you are in Christ, if you cherish with all your heart that blessing of God's provision of life through Christ, as Israel cherished God's provision of life through Joseph, then praise God for eternal life and not judgment is yours. Just as Joseph made his brother's promise, take my bones to the promised land, so we trust ourselves to our Lord Jesus even beyond the grave. He will take us to our promised land. Praise the Lord, Christian. You do know the end of the story. And finally, point number three. Get to work, Christian. You are part of the story. Friends, did you hear what God called you this afternoon? Uh, in the opening verses of Psalm 105 that Keith read for us earlier, I wonder if you noticed how the word of God referred to you. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, sing to him. It's a call to worship and it goes on. But who is the psalmist calling to worship? Give thanks to the Lord, sing to him, seek him, remember him. Who? Offspring of Abraham. Children of Jacob. That's you. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. 
heirs according to the promise. And that means that Israel's story is your story. Now look quickly with me at verse 8. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. A thousand generations just means forever. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. To give them a forever home. The covenant is a forever covenant. An everlasting covenant. And the Lord remembers it forever. Well, let me ask you, are the Lord's people yet in their forever home? No, quite obviously not. Yes, the Lord kept his promise to Abraham and he did bring Israel into Canaan, the promised land. But that was only ever intended as a foretaste of the true fulfillment of the promise. Canaan was a picture of the promised land, not the real thing. The real promised land still awaits us. The ultimate fulfillment of God's promise is when God's people, that's us, the church, all who are in Christ, when we live in God's place, that's the new creation, under God's perfect blessing forever. You see, the story of Psalm 105 isn't finished yet. And you live in it. Joseph didn't know all the details of how his life would unfold. But he did know that God was at work through him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him in dreams that he had a role to play in the outworking of God's eternal covenant purposes. And he did know that the Lord had gifted him. Joseph was clearly a gifted manager. He managed all of Potiphar's household and business affairs. Um, he, he, he managed uh, the prison. He became prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. And for 80, that's Eight zero eighty years he served and made the nation even more prosperous. In fact, so revered was Joseph in Egypt that 17 years after he was made prime minister, when his father Jacob died, all of Egypt came to a standstill. And all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of Pharaoh's household and all the senior government officials of Egypt accompanied Joseph to carry the bones of his father to Canaan to bury him there. Joseph didn't know how his story would work out, but he trusted the Lord of the covenant because he did know how the covenant story would work out. The Lord would keep his promise. And he did know that somehow he was part of the story, that he was caught up in the great story of God's covenant-keeping providence. And that if he faithfully pursued holiness and faithfully exercised the gifts the Lord had given him, then the Lord would be at work through him for the good of others. Now, dear friends, if, if you are in Christ, then know that the Lord of the eternal covenant is working through you for the good of others, both in the sense of caring for your neighbors, as Joseph's faithfulness, faithfulness saved all of Egypt from starvation, and in the sense of pointing them to the Lord of the covenant, as Joseph's whole life pointed to Christ. So knowing that you... Offspring of Abraham, children of Jacob, you in Christ are part of the story of how God is working out his covenant purposes in the world. 
both for the practical good of your neighbor and for the witness of the gospel, get to work. Be a holy and an excellent accountant. Be a holy and an excellent teacher. Be a holy and an excellent grade 5 and 6 and 7 and up to 12 and 13 learner at school. Be a holy and an excellent student at university. Be a holy and an excellent engineer, optician, business manager, legal advisor, homemaker, translator, scientist, administrator, grandpa, granny, doctor. The Lord is at work by the gifts he has given you for the good of others and the witness of the gospel. The Lord summoned the famine and the Lord sent a man. The Lord reigns sovereign and free over these days, days of sunshine and days of storm. And the Lord sent a man, Jesus of Nazareth, so that now you in him are part of the story. Trust in the Lord, Christian. You don't know the end of your story. Praise the Lord, Christian. You do know the end of the story. And get to work, Christian. You are part of the story.